Hello, thank you for coming to Meet the Influectuals and greetings from the Global North. If that sounds imprecise to you, it's because it is imprecise. I should better say that John and I are in Berlin today, where the Think Tank Lab has invited us to a conference hosted by DGIP, the German Council on Foreign Relations. And saying Global North doesn't even begin to tell the story, right? We are in Berlin, a city that used to be the border between the East and the West, between the First and the Second World. The same, of course, happens when someone speaks of the Global South. What are they exactly referring to? India and China, countries that are home to a third of humanity, are in the Northern Hemisphere. Mexico is in the Northern Hemisphere, too. And would it be fair to say Australia is in the Global South? The term is clearly not referring to any geography. Like the Joker in a deck of cards, it's an empty signifier that everyone can fill in. Anyway, even if definitions are tricky, coming from the far, far south in Buenos Aires, I believe that the north-south connection is going through quite a revolution. It's like with plastic bottles. I've known for ages that single-use plastics are awful for the environment, but only recently I've started to feel really uncomfortable if I have to order one at a restaurant. I'd rather not. And I think for many think tanks and knowledge institutions in the north, the need to collaborate with organizations in the south and to be able to talk about those collaborations is becoming an imperative, something that really makes people feel awkward if it doesn't happen. But we need new worlds and clever ideas to communicate these novel relationships we're building. Today we have the perfect guest to help us find all those things. Enrique Mendizabal is the founder and director of On Think Tanks, a global platform dedicated to promoting better informed policy. He was born in Peru, lived in London for many years, and is now based in Barcelona. On Think Tanks offers advice and content to researchers and organizations coming from 160 different countries. That's Global South, North, East and West combined. Kike is, in other words, a proper global influential. Hello and welcome to Meet the Influentuals. They're influential, they're intellectuals. Yep, you've got it. They are the Influentuals. This is a podcast about research communications. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the CEO of Soapbox. We're a design agency working with a lot of the world's leading think tanks, academic institutions and NGOs. And I'm Sonia Chalfin, director of Sociopublico, a strategy and communication studio for complex ideas. We're on a mission to find out the best ways to communicate knowledge, ideas and evidence. So each episode, we are meeting a leading influential who can help us on that mission. And today we welcome Enrique Mendizabel. How are you, Kike? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here, John and Sonia. I am I'm well. Um, a bit tired after two full days of um, listening to very interesting conversations and uh, networking. I think we uh, I got used to uh, doing all of this online, so it's just a new new way of doing things. And, and I think we we actually started a conversation the other day in the, during the conference about the global south. And and you mentioned that you are actually an advocate for this label. Is that true? And why? I think you've said it well in the uh, in the introduction, Sonia. Um, there is no perfect label. Um, there is no north and south, perfect divide, east, west, etc. 
Um, but I've always been a bit uncomfortable about um, the lab labels that suggest that we are in a trajectory behind somebody else. Right? Developing countries suggest that we are following developed countries. Mm -hmm. Um, low and it's middle a bit, income. It's at least that, that one is optimistic, like you are it's in the process. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm also a pessimistic person, to be honest. I sometimes <laughs> feel that we're not moving, yeah, at least not in that direction. Um, hmm. um, low and middle income country also suggests, right, that we are sort of stuck somewhere in a, in a low middle income space, right? And there are others that are better than us in some, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to draw a line there, right? Um, so I'm from Peru, Chile is next door, they are, you know, a lot richer than us. And then, you know, what's the next one uh, along, along that line? Um, I like Global South in part because I feel it's a bit symbolic. It connects me with other people. And, you know, as you said, I'm, I'm Peruvian. I grew up in Peru, then I lived for about, for about 15 years in the UK. Um, and I... And I was able to connect with people from around the world, not necessarily you know, in a clearly defined way. So either, either from Eastern Europe or the Western Balkans, from Africa, from other parts of Latin America, uh, from Asia, even with you know, the Spanish or the Portuguese, right, at the sort of fringes of the European Union, who kind of have a different way of dealing with rules and institutions, right? So now the definition I'm using to define whether this is Global South or, or not is um, a bit jokingly, you know, are you able to double park while you wait for a friend or a family member <laughs> in a shop? Let's ask that to Sean. Sean, do you double park when you wait for a friend? Absolutely in, in London. Not. Under no circumstances. That's a, <laughs> that's a criminal activity, Enrique. And if, if you know, if uh, if a police officer approached you and said, you know, you have to move along, you probably would move along. Whereas I, I wouldn't be doing it in the first place, Enrique. So the, the police, this is. A <laughs> say, say that I did it because I'm used to doing this in Peru, and I did that, and the, the authority came along and said, move along. I would move along, but in Peru, the reaction would be. Just wait a little bit, right? Uh, un momentito, un momentito. And maybe explain why you're I'll doing it. And you have a great reason for doing exactly. it. Exactly. We can teach John how to exactly. do it. <laughs> and I, this is interesting because I think this, to me, is help, it helps me connect to my peers. It helps me connect mm. to other researchers, to other think tankers, to other people doing this work in a, in a way that has nothing to do with income, you know, the country, has nothing to do with whether we're in some sort of development industrialization process or whether we're in the north or the south, right? Geographically, mm -hmm. as, you, as you said. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm an advocate of using the global south label, um, but I know this is a much wider and complex conversation. Of course, but and, and do you think there are, what is it that linked us with, with all these other people in the called global south? Is it uh, that we have cultural traits in common, or, or what, what would you say if it's not income, not geography, what is it? I think it's a relative weakness of institutions, right? If you want the formal institutions and the informal institutions. We're doing a bit of work on knowledge translation in the global south. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we approach this as a project about the global south because the funder is IDRC in Canada and they are interested in the global south. But we soon discovered that the tools and the strategies that people use to translate knowledge in the Global South are the same as the tools and strategies used in the Global North. The main difference is the strength of those institutions within which they're working. There is corruption in, in, in Europe, but the extent at which there's corruption in parts of Africa and Latin America 
is much, much larger, right? The, there's impunity in Europe, but there's a lot more impunity uh, in Latin America. Um, you know, we can complain about political parties in the UK right now, but I invite you to come to Peru and have a look at political parties or what they pretend to be, organizations that pretend to be political parties. So knowledge translation is happening in a slightly different context. And I think that's really what connects us. It's the sort of this weakness, this um, uncertainty in the institutional framework that also happens elsewhere. But in, I think in the global south, it's just, it's just rife. It's just much, much, much more complex, much more uncertain. Yeah, I'm certainly sort of conscious that there's, you know, maybe there's a sort of bias that I'm carrying around. As you know, we've got absolute political chaos um, in, the, in the UK at the moment. And looking at that uh, from a UK perspective, I, I sort of think, this is, this is not something that happens in Britain. This is something that happens in the global south. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, I know. And when I moved to the UK, I remember people complaining about things. And you complain about trains being late. And I would say, well, you have trains. Or you complain about, you know, the NHS. And I'd say, well, you have the NHS. Or you would complain about sometimes, you know, t you know, TV, you know, the quality of television. I'd say, are you, are you crazy? I mean, you have the BBC. You know, we wish we had the BBC. We wish we had Channel 4 and these, so these great productions. So everything is relative to some extent. Um, but, yeah. So it, it's interesting, Kike, that you, you are mentioning this, these differences between countries in, in the global north and the global south, because, and also what, what John said, because it seems now, at least to me, that because the whole world is going through this crisis and this uncertainty, it seems that maybe now the global south has more to teach the global north, maybe on how to deal with inflation or how to deal in general with uncertainty. Do you think that's the case? And, and are you find, uh, finding that others share this view and might be more willing to listen to the views from the Global South now than before? I agree with you. I think on the first point, I think, yes, the Global South has a lot to teach the rest of the world um, dealing with inflation. Uh, think tanks in the Global South have dealt with inflation, you know, and not a little bit of inflation, right? The inflation that means that the, the cash you have on you today is worthless tomorrow, right? I think our organizations in the Global South have, have designed, have, have been designed and have evolved to deal with crises. That's why they continue to exist. And that could be taught, that could be shared, I'm mm. sure, throughout the world. I still, I still feel, however, I still get the sense when I talk to organizations around the world, especially in the Global North, that they, they're not aware that we have gone through populism before, Right? We've, mm. we've had our share of Trumps and Berlusconis <laughs> before there was Trump and Berlusconi and you know, whoever else you know, we want to identify as a, as a novelty for the global north. And so there's a sense of, well, we've got nothing to learn from you because this is new. Like, you know, populism is new. You know, uh, the rise of uh, autocracies pretending to be democracies, they're new, but they're not new. You know, we're both Latin Americans. You know, we, we've seen this happen many many times before. Um, and so I think, I think in that sense, there's not so much openness to learn because, mm. because it's nice to feel, I think, many, many global north um, uh, sort of societies or groups like to feel that this is happening here for the first time, right? We're unique, right? We have a unique situation here in Britain or we have a unique situation here in the US and you need to break that before you, you will pay attention to what happened elsewhere. Uh, mm -hmm. and learn from them. And is this even true for uh, these global organizations you work with, like uh, international foundations or think tanks, 
or are they, I was making this comparison with the uh, plastic bottles that now feel so uncomfortable for all of us. Are they starting to feel uncomfortable about not collaborating enough with the Global South or is still this something that we need to, to work on? So if, you, if you're talking about research organizations, mm -hmm. um, so large um, Global North uh, based think tanks, for example, um, I think they are begin beginning to feel uncomfortable about not having better collaboration arrangements with their peers in the Global South. I feel, I fear that part of that sense of discomfort comes from how is it, how does it look, rather mm. than a you know sort of fundamental change in the way they understand relationships, you know, mm -hmm. of, of equity. It's more like you instance. say it's more political correctness than... Uh, it's a bit of political it's... correctness and there's also a little bit of business development strategy, right? So mm -hmm. um, if I want to get funding, I need to express my intention to have, you know, more equitable relationships and I have to try to show those equitable relationships. Um, in some cases, I think it's sincere. In other cases, I think it's a little bit of a PR stunt, right? And even in the cases where this is sincere, I fear that by design, these organizations can't do it, right? They're not set up to collaborate in an equitable way. They're set up to do the work themselves, right? Um, and, and they're trying to figure out how to do it without changing their business model, and this might not, might, might not be possible. Yeah, mm. uh, certainly from my experience, I mean, we do a lot of work with um, development think tanks, other sort of development organizations in the global north and um you know we're doing brand strategy work with them and they're so conscious that you know oh we, we are embedded in the in the global south that's what they that's what they all say and they, and, and they all interestingly all of them uh, and i will not name names but all of them view uh, that as a unique thing about them we're, we're the <laughs> ones that are genuinely embedded in the global south and everyone else everyone else isn't and I, I you know sometimes challenge them on this and say well you can't all be so which you know which which one is it and as you say sometimes it seems it seems a bit sort of paper thin really and it's almost as if the this global north perspective is baked into the business model do, do you think that um global south institutions would have a different business model or a different way of communicating here's here's another issue right so you'll be talking about global north international development think tanks mm -hmm. right that's a particular type of organization it's an organization that is based in, say in washington in london in brussels in in ottawa although i think i think there are no longer that many think tanks of international development in in canada but it's a it's a it's an organization based in the global north that studies the global south to influence international development policies in the global north mostly, and sometimes in the global south. Yeah. Um, that, that is a small number you know, in overall, right? Around the world, you know, if you have, say, 7,000 think tanks, that's a handful of organizations. Now, who do they work with? They work with think tanks in the global south. Those are, those are the organizations they call partners. Yeah. But a think tank in the global south that they partner with they're not dealing with international development. They're dealing with education policy. They're dealing with macroeconomic policy. They're dealing with trade policy. They're dealing with security policy. They're natural partners of those Global South organizations. Their, their real peers are the domestic focused think tanks in the Global North. Uh -huh. 
the ones that do not deal with international development, mm -hmm. the, world, the ones that are trying to influence the ministries of education, the ministers of health. Because they have that, like, they, they face the same challenges. Exactly, and they have exactly. The same it's the same challenges. How mm -hmm. do you get more girls into school? How do you improve the quality of education? Mm -hmm. How do you reduce waiting lists in, uh, in, you know, in the health sector? Right? Those are the challenges. But international development think tanks have positioned themselves as a bit of a, of a buffer or an interlocutor between mm. um, the global north and the global south. And I, I've argued in, in, in writing and in presentations before is that what we need is a bit of unmediated aid. Right? We need to recognize that you know, an engineer in the UK can talk to an engineer in Ghana, and if they're smart enough, and they probably are, they'll know that they're no longer right, in the UK or in Ghana, right? and that context matters. So they will be able to adapt what they know to the context. This happens all the time. right? Corporations do this all the time. Corporations mm -hmm. hire economists from Zambia or from Peru or from, or from China, and they move them around the world, and, you know, and they adapt. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing can happen in, uh, in this world. So this is a challenge. You've got these Global North International Development Organizations that are trying to create partnerships with organizations who, by design, should be looking for other partners. Mm -hmm. and, and so what we need is a bit of innovation in grant making where the, the drivers of the partnerships are not the international development think tanks, but the Global South organizations. So they are the ones who should be getting the funding to decide who should I partner with. Like to advance my mission, who would be my best partner? And then they might say, I'll go to this international development think tank, or I'll go to the domestic focus think tank in the US or in the UK mm. or, in, or in Spain or in Germany, because they are working on an issue that is similar to mine and we can learn from each other. So mm -hmm. this unmediated relationship, I think, would make those relationships a lot more equitable and a lot more sincere and sustainable. Is there a, a communications element into all of this, I mean, the, the think tanks in the global south? and you can see you have convinced me and I'm using the, the term now, uh, should they be communicating their needs and their goals in a, in a better way to access these new partners and new funding? Again, this is a challenge, right? Because um, most of the funding and most of the, the conversation about which we're having is about the international development space. Mm -hmm. uh, and the international development space happens in, you know, in sort of these global spaces, right? Mostly in the global north or in some capital cities, so UN capital cities around, around the world. If you're, if you're a global south think tank, a domestic think tank, or a global north think tank, a domestic think tank, you're investing a lot of your communication resources to target your audiences, mm -hmm. right? And your audiences are ministries of finance, of education, of health, the local media, local NGOs, the general public in your country. Hmm. But probably for, for an organization that's well-funded, they, they can uh, have that luxury and, and use their resources uh, to appeal to their domestic audience. But if you are uh, more remote or you have trouble uh, uh, achieving this, this, this uh, or, or getting this, this uh, financial aid, maybe you need to invest part of your communication budget on getting to be in touch with, participating on conferences, being in touch with international organizations, and doing expensive. this extra effort, and that's that, very that, expensive. That's, that's, that's really, exactly, so I think, Tang, I think Tang, you know, if they want to do their job, they have to invest as much funding, as much resources as they can to reach their audiences, the right audiences. If that think tank also wants to collaborate internationally, mm -hmm. it wants to be part of networks, it needs those resources to do it. But think tank in the global south, 
or a domestic think tank in general tends to be designed to work in their space, just like any other think tank. As I said, international development think tanks are a handful of organizations. They are designed from the beginning to network around the world, right? So that's why they have that advantage. So it's hard for a think tank in the global south to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's where networks, networks like Southern Voice comes in, right? So Southern Voice is not, is not going into Ghana or into Argentina or into uh, India and communicating uh, in parallel to their members in those countries, right? They're not stepping into that space. What they're saying to their members in India is saying, you do your work there, you communicate locally, I'm gonna help you to raise your voice and your brand in an international space, right? So it's not the Southern Voice logo here, but it's your research, your researchers. So that's a good model, and I think more of that needs to be supported. As opposed to sort of relationships or partnerships where the, the Washington-based think tank or the London-based think tank, UK-based think tank, is using research from the Global South puts their brand onto it, and then communicates it as their work, because what the researchers did was synthesize what was coming from the South. Right? So that's, it's a different relationship. Mm. Yeah, that's the embeds mm. John was mentioning before. And often uh, I think that these, um, these kind of, the, these international development think tanks in, in London or Washington, uh, they have, as, as we've often sort of complained about before, a very fixed model of communications. They're gonna produce a report, they're gonna produce a PowerPoint deck, they're going to tweet about something, uh, something a bit. And of course they have their, their networks that they're communicating to as well, their audiences. Um, and it feels like, you know, are those the right methods that they should be using to communicate? And are those, are those actually, are they completely missing the mark by communicating to a set of, a, a set of audiences, you know, uh, who are largely other uh, international development think tanks in Washington and in London? No, I think, I think, they, I think they do it well. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm careful not to, not to suggest any um, maliciousness from their, mm -hmm. from their part or that they don't have any role to play. I sort of think that what they need to, recon they need to recognize the position they're in and say, okay, you know, we need to promote our brand. You know, these are the outputs we want to produce. And, um, and what they need to try to do in a way, I guess, is... Uh, position themselves less as the the voices of the global south, mm -hmm. right? Um, and more, you know, I'll try to be a useful partner to to my partners. Right? I'll try mm -hmm. to create spaces for them, and then take a take a step to the side. I'll try to make introductions, and then take a step to the side, and I'll try to find a niche um, for my position. Right? So if I'm if I'm in London and my audience is the, the UK aid system and other think tanks in the global north and all. I mean, what is my niche? What is it something I can do that nobody else can do so that I'm not competing with others, um, especially those that are in the global south and I'm supposed to be you know, uh, partnering with in an equitable way. So, so I'm not suggesting they, they stop doing what they do, but I think they have to do it in a way that recognizes that there are other organizations out there and that those organizations should have a seat at the table when it it's about matters that affect them in the short term and in the long, in the long term. Right? So, so it's, it's a difficult balance. And I, and I think many, many international development think tanks, some global affairs think, affairs think tanks, and many funders, uh, international development funders, are going through a process of reflection, introspection, 
um, there's a bit of self-loathing, right? Mm -hmm. There's a bit of, uh, you know, what have we done? You know, should we do something <laughs> different? Um, some of them are doing things really fast. I think too fast. You know, they're trying to rebrand too fast. Some of them are trying to pretend that this is not, not for them. You know, that you say, you know, we're fine because we, you know, we've always been embedded or we're really not Northern, we're global. Um, but I do think they have to take it seriously. But mm. to me, that means, you know, don't be afraid to ask difficult questions, right? Don't be afraid to talk to your partners and talk to your, to your funders. Don't be afraid to put your business model on the table. Uh, don't be afraid to reflect on what might be your new your new role in the future if you know if this is something that is really gonna gonna, gonna change. Yeah, and, and it seems to me that at least we are now having these conversations. That's going back to my point of the of the plastic bottle. It doesn't matter if it's because of political correctness or or why, but it's our, this is the way that in general that cultural changes occurs, and it has to start somewhere and then we will follow up the conversation yeah, just exactly. having the conversation is is and, good news and a lot of this is a bit emotional so i was making a note here so i've always said um i've always been uncomfortable when when think think tanks say we have an expert like an expert on china or expert on on latin america expert on vietnam so what makes you an expert right so i'm peruvian right but i would never claim to be an expert on peru right mm. i you know i just live peru Mm -hmm. um, there are experts on Peru in the UK and in the US, I mean, whose entire careers are spent studying my country, looking at its history, its political economy, and its economics, its society. I would say they're more experts than me. So being from Peru doesn't qualify me as, you know, the, 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 voice, the voice of reason <laughs> in a conversation about Peru, right? And so I think some funders will, will go too far and say, oh, no, no, the local knows best. Some locals know best. But some locals know nothing. It depends on what, exactly. what's the topic. <laughs> Listen, yeah. Don't romanticize us and don't, um, you know, don't, don't idealize us. You know? So things you know, work and don't work in the global south, just yes, as they work and don't work in the global north. Um, but I think increasingly it's uncomfortable. You know, I think people feel uncomfortable when they look at a panel um, in an event or, and it's about Peru or it's about Malawi and you've got Europeans. Mm -hmm. It's like that, Even uh, if another they are version of, of the old male panel. Now. Exactly. We, we cannot have the old North panel anymore. So, but it's an emotional thing because those people might be experts. I mean, they mm -hmm. might have studied Malawi or Peru for the last 25, 30 years, and, and they are experts, and they probably know more than 99% than of Peruvians. But about you know know about their own country, but it doesn't look good anymore. And I think that's the thing. I think we, people are beginning to realize mm -hmm. this, and that they're making decisions around around this. But I think they're rushing into those into those decisions. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and bringing this back into communications, like it happens to us at Sociopublica because we work with organizations that are in the global uh, south or in the global north, and you always find that there are organizations doing great communications in all of these different countries. And some are better on, on, on some parts of it and some on others. And there's always all this potential for learning and collaboration that if, if we can help do that that's, that, that's a great mission. Actually, that's probably what happens with when, when Sopox and Sociopublica, sister agencies, work together. We are all the time learning from, from each other. And, and also, I think it's interesting because we, we are talking about countries here and the, the, these national states that as, as a way of, uh, of representing people or, or as labels. 
Uh, but uh, in this research you, you are starting on, on knowledge translation, you mentioned that many knowledge translation projects are actually multi-country uh, based, or they, they have started in one country, but then they uh, grow in a different country. And so it, maybe, uh, is, is it the case that we shouldn't be linking uh, research and knowledge to particular countries or regions, but thinking of it as, as more uh, really global uh, uh, collaborations? Well, I think, I think I think research and knowledge needs, needs to be contextualized to be used, right? so that, that's one thing. But the practice of doing it, the practice of generating knowledge, and the, the practice of communicating knowledge, I think, you know, I think can be learned from across the world. So, so the conversation is a good example. Right? The conversation, so I think, starts in Australia, spreads around the global north. There is a conversation in Indonesia. The conversation in Latin America never quite took off, but the conversation Spanish, which is run out of Spain, includes um, uh, a founder from Latin America, a university in, in, in Argentina. And Latin American news agencies consume context from the conversation because many researchers are actually publishing about Latin mm -hmm. America. So I don't care if it started in Australia or in the UK. If it's useful in the global south, let's use it, right? Mm -hmm. Another case study we're looking at is a case study from CPEC, where they were looking at paternity leave policies. Um, and they did this huge um, blowout uh, photographs of, of men taking care of the children in, in, and they put them in a, in a train station. And that had a huge impact in terms of the public conversation. Yes, we, we were involved in that. You were involved yeah, in that. Right? You company. were telling me the other day, but that wasn't just something that Sipek came out of nowhere, right? So that was linked to a, an exhibit of similar pictures, I think, at the Swedish yes. embassy. Mm -hmm. So they took something that was happening somewhere else and thought, okay, how do we adapt it to our context? And they improved it. Um, in Peru, there's been a great collaboration between a theater a company called Microteatro. They do 15-minute plays on a range of issues, right? just pure entertainment, with international idea that focus on political parties strengthening and democratic systems. And they run two seasons of um, plays, first on democracy and on corruption. So they linked researchers and journalists to directors and actors to design, to develop these plays and to run them. And they were an excellent way of communicating with, with the public. And I think that, that could be applied to any part of the world. So, so what I mean is, I think, yes, we can have a, 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 a kind of an equal, equitable conversation around these methods around the world if we don't sort of patronize each other. Uh, and if we don't stop ourselves from collaborating because, you know, because there's a, there's, a, there's a sort of fake line between the north and the south, right? Mm -hmm. So if we only study things in the global south, we're not going to learn from what's happening in the global north and vice versa. I think what you're saying is really interesting. It, it fits in with um, something else we were learning about at the, at the conference this week about how um, arts uh, organizations can collaborate with, uh, with, with think tanks and the different perspectives that come that come from that, and, and many of the examples that you're that you've given um, are examples of that kind of collaboration. But those collaborations happen in London, they happen in Washington, they happen here in in in, in Berlin um, as well. And I, I do wonder whether, when we talk about communications, there there is a global type of global South communications or a type of global North communications, or is there just communications? Is there just good communications? I think that's just good communications because good communication depends on on the 
you know, on understanding your audience, right, and tailoring your communication messages and messengers and outputs to your audience. I mean, that's something you would probably tell everybody, right? And that could be done anywhere. Um, some of these innovations happen. I mean, I, I often say to to think tanks who are trying to go through a you know redevelopment of their website. I say, have a look at the Soapbox web, uh, website and look at who they work with and have a look at those websites, right? I can't afford sometimes to hire a world-leading company, but locally there are people who can code. Yeah. Locally there are people who can design. It's just that those people rarely work for a think tank, right? You know, there are four or five think tanks who are going to have a properly designed website. You know, if they're lucky, they get one of those contracts. You know, in a five-year period, yeah. right? But as you guys, Socio Publico um, um, and Soapbox, you, you guys work with think tanks all the time, right? So you've got n new ideas coming in all the time, right? So, so that's, that's the main difference, right? I say, you know, look at their websites because you're going to see loads of options. You're going to be able to choose from, you know, a hugely diverse menu. But you've got people in, uh, in Peru or in Zambia or in Nigeria who can do the coding and could do the design. Right? Those skills are there, right? Um, and I think this collaboration you guys have is, is also one way of... of increasing the pool of mm -hmm. examples and, and opportunities that your organizations might, might have. Like, you know, a communications company for think tanks in Argentina will also run out of clients. Um, in your case, in the UK, you've got a bit more, mm -hmm. but you still have to expand. Right? Otherwise, you, 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 you get a bit bored uh, about those things. So yeah, the skills are the same, I think, and I, I think those skills are available everywhere. Um, but it's often the, the interaction, the experience, the, the marketplace of ideas in which, in which people, um, people, people work and you know, live. And it's also the availability of resources to innovate or to try new things. So um, I think the case, the case you're referring to was about um, a think tank and an opera sort of switching directors. Yes. yes. Right? So, I mean, that's fantastic, right? But to do that, you need a little bit of resources, right? You, you need to be able to do that. Right. There's money involved there. And a lot of think tanks in the Global South you know, rely on very limited uh, funding that comes from the Global North right, through projects um, that leave very little overhead. Um, so think tanks do not have reserves to make those investments, right? to, say, to take some time off and say, well, you know, for this month, we're not going to really do much except experiment on this. So again, but it's about, I think that's about the institutional setup. Hmm. And I few think philanthropies, well, yeah. very little public funding for research, etc. Right, so that that affects what they can do. But I don't think they lack the capacity to do it. Of course, and even in that context, I think that there are plenty of examples. We have worked with clients all over Latin America who have done uh, wonderful communications, and and also, of course, it's enriching to be at the same time working with more global. Uh, or, or Global North uh, institutions and, and also learning from the Soapbox team. But, 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 but yes, it, it tends to be the case that everywhere in the world you can use these tools. That some, of, some of them are free, by the way, and, and use them in a very good way. So um, we, you left out with many ideas. Do you think we, we still need to think of a new label for the Global South, or are we okay with, with this one? Maybe just to keep the conversation open and... Well, I, I, I want to keep the conversation open. I think, um, and you know, we've been, I've been having this conversation with, with other people, with the director of the Partnership for Economic Policy, which is a network of researchers across the Global South, and it's based in, it's based in Nairobi. 
but it was set up by IDRC. So mm -hmm. it was set up by you know, an international development funder in the global north, um, and it's headquartered in, uh, in, in Nairobi. You know, is it global south? Yeah, because it's in, but not because it's in Nairobi, it's because the researchers are from Nairobi. Mm -hmm. Andrea Ordoñez uh, runs Southern Voice. She lives now in, in Finland, but, <laughs> but Southern Voice is sort of hosted by Grade in, in Peru, and their members are from the, from the global south. Um, there's a th it's an amazing think tank here in Berlin called APRI. Um, they are a African think tank. Directors, Nigerian, all their researchers are based in Africa and they do research about Africa, but their purpose is to influence European policy around Africa. But, and it's registered here in, um, in, in Germany. Does that make them global north or are they global south? My, my feeling is that it, it's a global south organization. It's just that, you know, it just happens to be registered here. Mm. Um, so I think the conversation should keep going because there there isn't going to be a you know clear line that divides what's global global south and global north, um, and it's also but it's also who has this conversation. I think what's been happening is that the people who've been leading the conversation over the last few years have been those global north organizations, whether funders or think tanks or researchers, who are reacting to this discomfort that, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of neo-colonial ideas and, and through the urge to decolonize capacity building and research and academia, uh, funding, this this urge to do something about it, right? So, so that's where the conversations about this are taking place. But it, they should be happening, you know, in, in the global south, you know, where, you know, we might care and we might not care. I think a lot of people I talk to, in, you know, in the global south could not care less about you know, this is not a conversation for us, not relevant. We don't want to talk about that, etc. Others do care. Others do care about this. Um, uh, and even point out that the first references to decolonizing knowledge are from a Peruvian academic a few, you know, I think, 100 years ago or something like that. So. Well, we'll, we'll make sure this podcast is listened both in the north and the south, yeah. and we'll see what people think of because, their reactions. Because it's relevant to the global north as well, right? This conversation is relevant to think tanks in Washington that speak about, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the west, right? Or, or think tanks in, you know, based in posh neighborhoods in, in London, uh, staffed by upper middle class, uh, well-educated mm -hmm. and, you know, and, you know uh, think tankers who are doing research about disadvantaged areas of, of cities across, across the UK. So this, the, same, the same challenge, mm -hmm. right, yeah, that and that, we think that, about North and South, is happening at a local level. Of course, yeah, that, that was our thinking and, and why I think this conversation and hopefully this episode is relevant. And you know, we have a way to close each of our episodes. Uh, this is an idea that, that John had, and I think it's fantastic. And do you want to explain it, John? Yeah, so... Um, at the end of each episode of this podcast, we, we want to create a little space for our listeners uh, to think about what they've heard. Um, we're not calling it, you know, so often as a web designer, I'm, I'm prompted by the think tanks I work with to have more calls to action on their websites. And I'm, I'm slightly fed up of the idea of a call to action. What I want now is a, call to, is a call to think. So at the end of each episode of this podcast, we're just going to leave everyone with two minutes of ambient sound to think about what they've heard, think about what they've learned. Uh, it's just going to be some nice background sounds, give us a little space to think quietly um, about what we've learned. Maybe we can start to form an opinion, uh, a question. Um, maybe we'll even be uh, inspired to use the influential hashtag. Um, so, uh, Kike, uh, what sounds are we going to listen to 
uh, when we think about what you've, term, you've told us? Well, I, I suggest we listen to the sound of traffic, of heavy traffic <laughs> in, a, in a city in the global south where, you know, rules are there, but, you know, people don't pay attention to them. You know, they double park. Um, you know, the lights turn green and, and amber and red, but, you know, it's just a suggestion. Um, and, and because that, that's sort of, that's the environment in which think tanks and researchers and communicators have to operate. It's this, this cacophony of sound, but also there's this chaos around them. The worry that the money I'm making today might be worthless tomorrow. The worry that my son's at the park, but, you know, is he safe at the park? Um, or the worry that, you know, my colleagues might have that, you know, some of their, their parents or family members or themselves might be going through some sort of illness or disease, and they have to fight on a daily basis with insurance companies because, the, you know, the, the state insurance is not enough. So... All of this affects what think tanks do, right? And think tanks and think tankers, they need time to think, you know, they need, they need the space. Um, and so that's, that's the main difference, right? We're, we're working in a context where our institutions in general tend to be very weak. And I think the, you know, chaos of city traffic in, uh, <laughs> in Cairo or Lima um, illustrates that. So this, this could be the, like the sound of institutions in trouble yeah. <laughs> that we are like, going try to, to think, to. try to think while you're listening to that, to that, to that, to that noise or that music, however okay. you want to put it. So everyone here is traffic noise from uh, somewhere in the global south. Production was by Dario Jelfin. This podcast is produced by Soapbox and Socio Publico, two design and communications agencies working at the intersection of research and social progress. You can learn more about us at designbysoapbox.com and sociopublico.com. And feel free to contact us with ideas for future episodes. Just use the email addresses you'll find on our website. Thanks for listening. <laughs>